Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. to these X-Men, that is almost certainly going to be the case. Today we're going to be taking a look at the origins and status quo of some of the X-Men's most famous psychics and a special look back at the origins of the X-Men. That makes this We Are Krakoa. I'm Nico. I'm Dylan. Kyle. I'm Regina. And I'm Jonah. And we hope you survive this experience. Unlike Annie. She's <laughs> dead, Jean. Oh. Get over it. And like, you know what? She's always dead. She's one of those people like Uncle Ben like died. You know what I mean? And Bucky like died. But like, she's like Batman's parents dead. She's <laughs> dead before she's even alive. And I'm like, damn, that's that's cold. She's so dead. And I find it really interesting that she's... Okay, I'm going to get to that in a minute. Anyway, <laughs> so comics on a hiatus a little bit longer. Before we jump back into the X-Men, where it's going to stand in the Dawn of X... We wanted to take a look at some of the most recent origin stories that were published for a number of these characters. A number of years ago, Marvel published a line of comics called the X-Men Origins line, and this saw sort of a best-of-update version of a number of X-Men mainstays like Cyclops and Jean Grey, as well as Emma Frost and Gambit, but it also sought to kind of clarify some people with slightly more complicated backstories like Sabretooth and... Deadpool. Frankly, villains never really get a fair shake when it comes to backstories. They're always kind of over the top and constantly changing. So this line sought to fix that. In addition, we're going to be taking a look at a collection of one-shot pages from Marvel called The Origin of Marvel Comics, The X-Men. This contained 34 one-shot pages that gave you a pretty decent understanding on the character and was written and drawn by usually kind of the artists that had most recently worked on the characters however and i i need to not let this go one minute further we all need to take a minute and just breathe in the amazingness is that we get to talk about a page by jill thompson today how often in your life is jill thompson gonna fucking draw gene gray for those of you who are unaware of jill thompson her contributions to comics are many and plentiful she is probably best known for some of the most significant contributions to the sandman universe painting some of the most memorable breathtaking scenes ever she's also known for popularizing manga within the pages and world of the vertigo universe over at dc she in a really funny one-on-one we did at a comic-con told me about how she actually introduced alex ross to manga and that just like stands out as one of the coolest things ever oh and she's also married to like my personal hero brian azarello and so i can't possibly be more excited to get to talk about jill thompson and the i have a baby morpheus of the little endless by jill thompson hanging in my office and it's one of my most prized sketches and i'm just such a humongous jill thompson fan and so getting to do this page just, it means the world to me, and I just want to thank you guys for letting me wax poetic about how much I love this creator and have my entire life, and I super-duper recommend everybody go out and read either Scary Godmother or the Death Mangas, which tie in beautifully to the Sandman universe, including the Dead Boy Detectives manga, and okay, I'm done now. This is X-Men, not Vertigo. Now, I want to start with the Emma Frost origin issue because, oh man, there was there was some stuff to talk about here. All right, the first story we're going to cover today is X-Men Origins Emma Frost, written by Valerie Dorazio as the writer, Carl Moline for the pencils, Rick Magar for the inks, Maury Hollowell for the colors, and Dave Sharp for the letterer. I am so happy that this was written by a woman in comics. That is such an important change to start seeing women telling women's stories. Unfortunately, so much of what she's referencing had already been determined by men. 
So she had very little agency in developing and cultivating the story uniquely. Those of you who hear the name Carl Moline and you're like, where do I know Carl Moline? You possibly know him from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer Frey comic, the season eight arc that featured the return of Frey, Time of Your Life. You might know him from the Runaways spinoff series, The Loners, which was written by now editor-in-chief of Marvel, C.B. Sabolsky. So the creative team on this is at least significant to start. I thought the four pages of Dark Phoenix Saga at the end were kind of like, why the fuck are you even invited to this party? But that was there. And I thought half of this was terrific, and I thought half of it was kind of maybe a little bit anti-feminist. There were elements to this that I enjoyed. <laughs> the way I have to summarize this as it's well, just not basically brunette carry. I don't really know. Like that's basically what it is: psychic girls bullied and then <laughs> tortures her <laughs> classmates because they're mean. I like the only difference is she didn't get pig's blood spread on them, except for maybe um, that. Okay. Listen, I need to know what the fuck is going on here up on this day with that one page with the the, the guy and the girl in, in uh, BDSM leather running in the yard and Sebastian and Emma basically being naked outside. What is going on? I thought this was a wholesome children's podcast. I thought that was a riff off of the most dangerous game. Yeah, no, it was definitely most dangerous gamey. But like Sebastian Shaw was just like straight up hanging dong, right? Like Sebastian was like super naked and emma was in like clothes like <laughs> I, you know i try and determine if something's clothes or a napkin by using mariah carey's video from the glitter era for Loverboy as the barometer on whether it's clothes or a napkin and this certainly fell on the side of clothes but no sebastian shaw is just like letting his shinobi hang out uh, his pre-shinobi but regardless of of this you know dominatrix dominator is that the male equivalent of a dominatrix there were it's as nico said there were things that i liked about this issue and there were things that made me kind of uneasy and squeamish i don't mind that emma grew up in a tough home and her household was really like abusive and yelling we see one panel of christian frost who is now later known as iceman slam piece but I guess, I, and I don't know exactly how to feel about Charles also intervening. There were just parts of this that I, I wish were maybe like a little more unique and better. I don't know exactly how to feel about Emma starting off as a stripper. It feels like there, Emma is much more powerful, much more resourceful, and much more clever than this backstory makes her out to be. That I wish there was more, like, instead of Shaw being, like, really abusive and basically equivalent of her father, because that's what all women do, is just go after men who are basically their fathers. Ugh. I just don't understand why Emma would be pushed around so much when I know she's a much more hashtag boss babe than that. I think the eras that this story was cultivated over by men, like you pointed out, they felt that this was the only way she could do this. This is stretching back to a time before women were allowed to be that intelligent. Though, you know, the first thing I think about is the number of characters that get revised origins, and I kind of have to wonder why this wasn't revised. Regina, as the proud owner of the double X chromosome set, I want to know, how do you feel about them upholding this backstory instead of updating it? Be something a little bit less, you know, awful. <laughs> Well, Emma's backstory has to be awful and tragic because that's what basically makes her have the attitude she has. But this story was presented unevenly. There were, there's a comment about sex workers that made me really uncomfortable. Like, you know, when we're retelling the story, you didn't have to say that. I really like the emphasis on little girl Emma, but I do think the way the story meandered, it, it didn't give us enough oh, gravitas, I guess is the word I'm looking for, to really ground us in her character. This is a story we've seen before, and I don't feel like it added anything new to what we already know about her. I loved this line of origins and all the different characters that got their solo issues. I wish a few more characters would have gotten theirs, but 
This Emma story, like Regina said, has already been told once in Emma's solo series that she had. So I feel like this didn't really add much more to anything. I kind of wish that there would have been more of the inner workings of when she was important with the Hellfire Club because her solo series didn't really touch too, too much on the Hellfire Club. So I wish this would have given a little bit more story to that and we could have maybe left out the child and sex shaming part like it's emma we know that let's move on let's get to something we don't know now kyle you hadn't been around for the emma frost solo series but if i'm not mistaken you actually have a unique relationship with the emma frost origins comic this one in particular do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah so um i didn't realize it when you first asked us to read this but as soon as i saw the cover on it i realized that this was actually my first comic that i bought in issue form i was down in disney world and i needed something to spend some time while i waited for my bus back to the airport and there it was so I picked it up and yeah then I started wanting to learn more about the X-Men this was your first comic ever yes right once upon a time a comics baby and now a great big comics bear man it's so amazing (laughs) oh my god I'm so happy that Emma did that for you (laughs) (laughs) right isn't it just like so special (laughs) that slut and her stilettos were there for you she made you become a comic man. She That's so cute. Me. I can't believe you actually had a secret rendezvous with Emma Frost at an airport without knowing each other's name. No, I was at a hotel. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Classy. <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I have to agree with everybody else about the content of, of the later half with everything being kind of a lot of uh, anti-feminist. I did enjoy the early period of her life, getting to understand what she went through and how her, her family kind of uh, treated her. I kind of wish that we had seen a little more after she became the, the White Queen, though. Yeah, you know, the solo series, as Dylan pointed out, and ended with her joining the Hellfire Club. Although, hey, what's up, Astrid Bloom? What's up? Right? And once again, they're just like skirting around it. Other than that, really, that something else, Emma Frost story we covered during our expansive Dark Phoenix saga coverage, there's been some little things here and there, but they don't spend a lot of time discussing Emma's time in the Hellfire Club, but rather focusing on her deeply troubling relationship with Cordelia and Adrian. But you know, I do like that if if someone is there for Emma, it's sort of Christian in his Valium Vicodin haze. He's just really happy with his Kalanapin gin smoothie and he's gonna get through this. He's on a boat right now, right? Oh, he's in bed. Got it. And, you know, he's just gonna get through. There was an odd lack of Christian here, considering how importantly manipulated he'd been into her backstory. Did anybody else kind of feel that way? Like, he suddenly seemed less important. Like, he got a whole panel in the new X-Men backstory. I was really surprised by that. Um, I was was expecting him to show spend more time in the book other than what a single panel yeah yeah the page where sebastian like punches her like given his power set that should have killed her <laughs> like they could have just given her a little slap given her a little slap and it would have had the same effect but he like straight on just punches her like a dude and i was like she does not have a diamond form on yet she should have like had some serious injury <laughs> And then they immediately make out. And I'm like, no, you chipped a veneer. You're not ready to kiss her. Right. It was just, that was probably the most awkward page for me. Just that. (laughs) What the heck was that? You know, maybe he likes the blood. The next book we're going to cover is Origin of Jean Grey. Our writer was writer Sean McKeever. The artist was Mike Mayhew. The letterer was Nate Geckos. And let me just say, I love the art in this book so much. <laughs> I am super duper into Mike Oh Mayhew. my God. Yeah, mega into It him. was so, every page was just so beautiful. It was very Marvels in the style. And yeah, that really, I don't know what it is about that, but it, it just really did it for me. I loved every page of I think the saturation lends a certain gravitas to what's going on in the content, that it has this painterly quality to it, makes it feel more austere and proper. You know, when we think about comics, like the Sunday comics, we think, oh, you know, Kathy, Chocolate, Ack, Wonk, Mondays, right? And we don't think, well, that could hang in the MoMA, but... 
when we think, you know, uh, painted something, well, okay, that's already a little bit closer. And when we're talking about comics, that ranges a pretty wide gap from Mike Alred, which is sort of a take on that 60s turned comic strip comic, and say, Mike Mayhew. I really agree with you. The intensity of the art lends something huge to this story. I also love anytime Sean McKeever gets work. I do wish a woman had been given this title, though I am a fan of McKeever. Anybody who read his Marvel Tsunami book, Sentinel, may remember that he told the story of a boy and his pet Sentinel. And Good Guy Sentinel, it's a real sweet book. It's a real nice story. Super recommend it. And I don't think this gives us anything new. I like the retelling of the Annie bits. And then I love the flash forward to Gene on the team. That's pretty great. And then there's that one of her in the costume and they're like, Marvel girl, look out. And I'm like, I'm just going to look at this forever. (laughs) What did you guys think about trying to boil down pretty much 40 years of Gene Cannon avoiding the fire chicken at all costs? I don't know about this one. I kind of felt like it was a little bland, actually. So you felt it was kind of rote. Like, it felt very... Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, we're we're telling a gene story, and there's really nothing that big about it. One of the things I found confusing logistically about this issue is that it, Charles seemed to stay, spend a lot of time at the Gray residence, did he just leave his other students alone at the mansion? I, like, I, I'm so confused by how long Charles was there helping Jean, where she wasn't at the school, that, look, what, what were the other four doing? Just jerking each other off? Like, I'm just like... So, anyway... I think it's possible that Xavier was in one of those two places, or maybe both places, using Cerebro. He's just hanging out in the basement and just everywhere all at once. I al- <laughs> You're ridiculous. I also think that this probably takes place over the course of a couple of years, and Xavier probably goes back and forth a bunch of times, and it's, you know, it's a, he's there, and then he's home, and then he's there, and then he's home, and then he's there. And obviously at the time, it wasn't the plan, and obviously that was not what they were thinking, but how did everybody else feel about about this weird recontextualization of Xavier from the post House of X powers of 10 world. When I saw Moira and Xavier in the Emma issue, I was like, ah, she no, Moira X. So I call Apocalypse. Somebody get Magneto, this is bad. Moira's here. Moira's here, guys, somebody stop it. Right, cause like, oh God, she's my favorite, but she's dangerous. Uh, I just get so enraptured in it. And I, anybody else get flashes of, huh, this is a totally different story. I completely agree, like you said, with the Emma story and seeing Moira and then just the just reading and looking at Xavier during his times of when he went to go visit Jean and her family here. I feel like I do read these origin stories a little bit different now. I did want to say though that I feel like with this amazing art by Mike Mayhew, like Xavier does look a little even more creepier and molesty in <laughs> some of the art. But real quick, I want to say how much I really love this art too. I am a person who still watches soap operas <laughs> and I watch Days of Our Lives and the year that this book came out, the teenage model that or the model that was used for the teenage face and look of Jean throughout the whole second and third half of the book was an actress named Ashley Benson. Most people know her from Pretty Little Liars, but she was actually on Days of Our Lives at the time that this book came out. So (laughs) I... When this book came out, I got it off the stands mainly because, and we all know that I hate Jean, but I got it because I love the character that Ashley played on Days of Our Lives, which was Abby Devereaux. So I love this book mainly just because I can see a Days of Our Lives character while I'm reading it. I love that. It adds another layer to why I love you. And that, God, that is... That's fucking awesome, man. I love that. I don't know who she plays on Pretty Little Liars, but on Days of Our Lives, she played Abby. (laughs) Maybe she plays Pretty or Liar. I don't want to disparage someone's art, literally and figuratively, but this art wasn't for me. 
it was this weird mix of hyper realistic but like watercolored and, and like it looked like a weird smudged oil painting that I didn't really like and I wish the artist would have just taken a confident direction in one art style as opposed to trying to mix multiple I, I kind of agree have to agree with what Kyle was saying there really just wasn't much in here I would have actually really liked focusing more on Jean's telepathy because she's an omega level telepath and I feel like if that's supposed to be her main ability give her that more I there was just really, there was just kind of nothing, I guess. Did anybody really need it to be expanded upon Annie dying? I mean, a child saw her best friend die right in front of her. I really think don't think anybody was like, but did this really mess her up? What actually happened to Jean? No, we know, we know how traumatizing that it can be for anybody, so... In a post-Frozen world, the first several pages was very, do you want to build a snowman? Um, <laughs> she's even looking out over snow. <laughs> Um, and then a couple of pages later, we see her come out and talk to her sister. And that's something we didn't really get to see in Emma's book either, is their relationship with their sibling. Because, I mean, I have a sister. I love my sister. And even when we hate each other, we love each other. And I wish we had seen a little bit more, but Sarah is clearly overjoyed when Jean comes out and talks to her. And I wish we had seen a little bit more of that than some of the other stuff that we've already rehashed. Um, but what we did see, I thought, was really good as far as conveying how much her family has been missing her ever since Annie died. I agree. I really thought the, my sister's back was like a really nice touch. Cause yeah, like literally every gray is dead. All of them. We also took a look at six pages in the origin of Marvel Comics one-shot that was released a number of years ago, and we focused mainly on the psychics in the book. So we're taking a look at Cable, Professor Xavier, Jean Grey, Emma Frost, Karma, and Pixie. Can we get Pixie out of the way first? <laughs> I don't like her. You sound so excited. <laughs> Pixie was a minor background character in the pages of New Mutants, New X-Men, New Academy X, and she was part of this era of comics that was sort of more focused on making sure everybody had someone to relate to and kind of like copywriting characters and Moss. A lot of the characters in that era of New X-Men Academy X and New X-Men Volume 2 didn't particularly have personalities under the really fun pen of Nunzio DeFilippis and Christina Weir. It was actually very playful, fun teen soap opera. So Dylan, I totally get why you and I loved it so much. But a lot of the characters lacked personality initially. They would literally have no lines, but have appeared nine times. So when a new writer came on and they kind of revamped the book and fleshed everything out, Pixie went from minor character to the it girl you really didn't have a choice about. I would say the reaction to her getting the main feature in that Uncanny X-Men Free Comic Book Day special was not great. And people did not like that she got a soul dagger and learned magic's magic. Pixie also was later revealed to be a Wingard sister. So for many people, this character represents just sort of like the one too faring of the It Girl. My and most of my problem stems from this stepping on Ileana's toes, and I don't want to come off as like a defensive fanboy of magic, but Limbo specifically is tied to Ileana, and unless there has to be a reason to be an arc there, I don't really see a, a reason for other characters to go to Limbo and have quote unquote character growth or giving them new character traits because. It's just going to come off as redundant and recycled material. Like, she got a soul dagger and magic. That's kind of like, now you're stepping on someone else's toes. Ileana already has a very niche-specific power, or mutant ability. And part of trying to make her a little more dynamic is giving her this magic and this tie to Limbo. But giving that to someone else now who wasn't meant to be there, isn't the Dark Child, it just seems like, why? If you're, you can. So I wanna, I wanna calm you down for one second. I love how angry you are because it stoked the embers of my heart. 
but this was the arc that they brought Ileana back from the dead after like 20 years with. <laughs> so nobody was using Ileana. They gave these characters character development to justify bringing Ileana back. I'm more so upset about it the was creation a of a big manipulation. And her getting magic. I'm not saying someone can't learn magic because in the Marvel verse, even though some characters like to pretend you can't, you can. <laughs> if you have the strong enough will, you can probably learn how to do magic if you want to in the Marvel verse. It doesn't seem like it's that difficult. I'm not trying to throw shade. It really doesn't, though. As the point of view of someone who did read that story, it was fun, but I, I agree w- with what he's saying, even though he th- didn't read that arc yet. Um, Pixie was so annoying. And, <laughs> like, out of all of the kids that ar- arrived at that point in time, she was not the one that should have been picked to be the it girl or even the it kid. And then when they started making her the it girl, it was just like she was taking the magic that brought... Ileana back. She became a, a really quick teleporter. There was even a time in one of the X-Men books where her and Nightcraw- Nightcrawler were racing each other to see who could teleport quicker, and she <laughs> beat him. And it was just, I agree in hating her for, they were pushing so hard for her to be an the next it girl like they went above and beyond x23 annoyingness with putting x23 in front of everything they were putting pixie in front of all of the x-men and it was very annoying and the only reason i do kind of like her is because she is a wingard sister and that's about it (laughs) you know one time i was at a comic shop in 2005 and i was like oh can i get this issue of uncanny x-men and the comic shop actually had a woman come out dressed as x23 and stab me to death that is how hard they were pushing X-23 around this time. And I'm going to really back you up here. I think they might have gone a step further on Pixie. She got every special edition. Then she got a miniseries. And that miniseries had Catherine Immonen writing and Stuart Immonen on covers. I do just want to point out that this story was by Mike Carey, who did the free comic book day story about Pixie. So it sort of is, again, that person who did a major contribution to the character getting to write the story. Regina, you've been awfully quiet. <laughs> All I can think about is Ileana and Limbo and her and Maddie are the only two that have claim to that. So Pixie just needs to go sit down in a corner. <laughs> she does need to take a number at the deli. <laughs> Pixie's <laughs> making everyone angry. <laughs> well, Kyle, I think it's your turn. Where do you stand on Pixie Wingard? I've decided that's her name. Ew. <laughs> I don't really have a lot of experience with Pixie, but... Good, good. Very jealous. <laughs> Hearing about all these things, it kind of makes me feel like she's way too overpowered. And I don't want to say that I hate her, but maybe at some point I will give her a chance. But I'm not really rushing to... Moving from Pixie's page, written by Mike Carey with art by Sarah Pacelli... Let's talk about another X-Man who doesn't get enough love, and that would be Karma, whose page is written by James Asmus with art by Leonard Kirk. I love Leonard Kirk from his time on Captain Britain and MI-13, and then he had that really beautiful Fantastic Four run. I love Karma. I love queer representation. I love characters with disabilities who are still shown as fighters and warriors like Karma is on this page. I think it's really interesting that you can boil Karma's entire canon down to Marvel Team Up 100, New Mutants number one, New Mutants number 32, and then sort of now. Yeah, there was all, all, there was not a lot of content in this, and that's, um, that's upsetting. And not that you don't want characters who are, have minor roles to not get spotlights like this, but like, there wasn't really anything else she could have put. It feels like her word bubbles are just smaller than everybody else's, and she has less of them. And, and I'm gonna point this to Dylan, but Dylan, did you notice that the top panel, like, really does just look like it's straight out of Marvel Team Up 100? The New Mutants panel looks like it could be from the Sal Buscema era, the Sinkevich panels. I don't want to say they look like a trace, but they're definitely an yeah. homage to a master. And I even think the panel with Annalie looks specifically like the new X-Men Academy X era. Yeah, I, I feel like there were, just like with the word bubbles, like Jonah was saying, there wasn't very much effort put into Karma's page. And I'm kind of sad about that because I feel like Karma should have more. But honestly, if you think about Karma's history, even though there have been long storylines like the Shadow King one and uh, Asgard when she came back, uh, there really hasn't been that much. And her, the stories 
that those came from. Maybe even though they were like three or four issues each, they really were kind of just drawn out when they shouldn't have been and could have been like one or two issues instead. So sadly, this one page is a really good interpretation of what Karma's history has been with with, with the X-Men. And that's sad since she's, you know, one of the very few lesbian characters that's not also been with men. And like, she's like one of the pure lesbian characters like we have Mystique that are that's been with men and women and Destiny, but we hardly ever saw Destiny. So yeah, it's just sad. And Karma deserves more. But I mean, and I I do agree because I'd wish there had been gay representation. But what was she gonna do? Wear a flag? Because like they even gave her Annalie, and like I'm with you. But I, I realized that the saddest part is this is a statement at the representation, not at our fandom. Because the only woman with whom she had a significant, notable romantic interest was a heterosexual who was flattered but couldn't return the feeling. So we're even talking about a character who you know that lesbian narrative so frequently buried underneath other stories. Kyle, I'm kind of like shocked you don't love Karma way more. Um, <laughs> that's, that's actually a, a very good statement because I'm kind of surprised as well. I just really haven't had a lot of experience with her, you know? In regards to this page, I absolutely love the, her action pose and oh, it's, it's so badass. So bad yeah. That T-1000 yeah. leg. And I love how unique her psychic presence looks compared to the other psychics. I agree. At the time, Frank Miller, who had designed it initially, was very inspired by French and Belgian comics, which would later go on to influence his work on DC's Ronin from 1983 to 1984, as well as an extensive look into anime. His love of anime would also show up in Ronin, as well as his Daredevil, Wolverine, Elektra, and many more stories. You can also see touches of his love of Cinema Verte and Crime Noir in the upper panel. So, you know, one of the things is, yeah, Karma's aesthetic is so unique. It's so unforgettable. It just drips with milk. Sorry, I get so excited about Frank Miller things I'm still allowed to like. Definitely like to spend more time learning about Karma. She seems like a pretty cool character. So, Regina, I have two questions for you. Number one, Karma, does what goes around comes around? That's not grammar. And number two, do you love the Shadow King as much as I do, or am I, like, actually the only person alive who loves the Shadow King? I like the Shadow King in very specific circumstances, (laughs) but I think I could say that for almost anything. (laughs) You know, as far as Karma, I feel like even when I first started reading New Mutant, I didn't even know she was a character for a long time (laughs) because it seems like every book that I read she wasn't in that one and I would see references to her in other you know comics that I had picked up I kept saying who who is she (laughs) and even now it's like I've seen her in like some of the newer like new books and everything but I still feel like I've got a really good grasp on the things that she's actually been through because she does seem to just kind of pop up and she's really significant and then she disappears I feel like she's like everyone's favorite lesbian aunt she comes around once every four and a half years and when she does, everybody's like, guys, Shan is here. And like, nobody can actually say what it is. It's just, it's Shan, you guys. <laughs> and like, you know. And I, I recently found a panel where there, she's in bed. Dylan, do you remember what the hell I was posing, posting about? I don't <laughs> um, Regina was recently looking at some images from around X-Men 500 when Greg Land was doing a lot of the art with Utopia and Karma was used a lot. And But yeah, that's the era that you were, yeah. that you sent and a picture from. There's, there's a panel where she's in bed with a woman. And it's sort of, Hot. for like 30 seconds, I kept looking at it like, is that Kitty? Because <laughs> it was just a random woman that she's not named you don't know who she is and i just feel like if karma was going to be with a woman she would not just be the kind of person to just do a one-night stand she's the kind of woman that is seeking a relationship and is seeking commitment and why don't we know anything about this random woman she slept with (laughs) you know and i just i wish marvel had done more maybe they will do more i don't see that as being likely in the current climate but i do want to see more of that i want to see karma have the same treatment that north star got and get her one true love and right off into the sunset still kicking it out. I think that she would be a great candidate to join a book like X-Force, which is very intense and severe. It would be a great fit and I don't see why there isn't more room for the strong narrative of a queer woman of color immigrant. I think we should be looking more to seeing that story told. I just wanted to say that I feel like they have never known what they've wanted to do with Karma. I can't remember what the name of the three-part storyline was, but I know you know what I'm talking about, Nico, where in like the 90s, they decided to have this weird Ileana thing where they like made- uh, The New Mutants Volume 2, Truth yes, or Death. Yes, Truth or Death. 
by Ben yeah. Rabb. It was like a three-part thing with maybe them bringing Ileana back, maybe not. And they had all the new mutants. Uh, Michael Yes. And they had all the new mutants there. And they even had Shan. And like literally, I think the only thing that she did being in those three books was her showing up and everyone seeing that she had shaved her head but dyed her hair pink before she did it. So she just had a pink shaved head. And I don't think she literally did anything else in the book. So they never know what to do with her. Well, and you know, that's kind of the curse of a lot of the earliest New Mutants. They were all kind of run out of the title when things gave way to a little book called X-Force. Cable has a page written by Dwayne and art by Dave Wilkins. And I could not love this page more. It gives you a really good sense of what you need to understand. You've got some Baby, you've got some Ascani, you've got some BFG, you got some Shatterstar, so gay buddy! And then you've got Big Daddy Cable being like, yeah, I hold a baby, bitch! And like, I love this page, and I love Cable. The thing I loved most about this page is that <laughs> it kind of comes full circle. So you start out with Baby Cable, and his parents are protecting him. And then at the bottom, he's got Baby Hope, and he's protecting Baby Hope. And I really love that about this page. Of course, I'm a huge Cable fan. I love him. I love the art. I love the way that the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix was presented in the upper corner. And of course, that big BFG, that's, that's me all the way. <laughs> I think Regina said it the best with the full circle. I remember when I was reading the Cable series where he was raising hope and like probably four or five issues into it i was like oh my gosh this is very much basically a a child of big importance like cable was and he was just sent off away into the future but this way we actually got to read the story of hope which was kind of the same story as cable again i i really don't have a lot of experience with stuff after a certain point so i don't really know a lot about cable but this is a pretty damn cool page to read i mean all those action shots plus daddy cable holding holding baby hope that i i just love it i quite enjoyed this I don't know a lot about Cable. I just know that Nico loves him and that he's a big buff man. He's got a gun. I, I know a little bit more about that, but like, I feel like that's how you could boil down Cable. He's got a big buff man who's a gun and his best friend is sometimes a villain. <laughs> so like, this was cool to read and be like, okay, I kind of knew what was going on and now I do know what's going on and I like it. I like what I'm seeing. It's cool. And he's got gray hair. So like. <laughs> you really captured the essence of Cable. He's a lot of look. And sometimes you kind of know stuff in between. (laughs) That really is the essence of Cable. (laughs) From one guy who leads the X-Men to, you know, the other guy. And Professor Xavier's page was written by Mike Carey, which made sense. Mike Carey's X-Men Legacy is one of the ultimate love songs to Professor Xavier. And the reason it's such a great love song is because it leans into the fucking creepies. So it works. The art is by Mick Bertilarenzi. And I think my favorite thing about this page is I look at that top panel and I'm like, Moira's roughly the same size as Xavier. And then I look at the next panel and I'm like, Storm is more the focus than Xavier. I look at the next panel and I'm like, Magneto is more the focus than Xavier. I look at this panel and I'm like, guys, Xavier was rolling through the scene and didn't know they were taking a group shot. I mean, Xavier's kind of the guy that stays behind, you know? So I guess it kind of makes sense. So maybe he should have thought about staying in the back in this photo. (laughs) Yeah, the most dynamic thing about Xavier's page is it basically everyone else. Yeah, it's and they're all so big and bright and fun and exciting. They all look like they're ready for action. And like, there's even a tiny sunfire and a tiny banshee. I mean, that banshee is tiny, tiny (laughs) fuck. Oh my god, he's so little and faded. Like, he went through the dryer too much. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, it was kind of not really a page for Xavier, more so than it was just, hey, Xavier's a psychic and he made the X-Men. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> did, anybody else, did anybody else notice that the book is alphabetical, but they accidentally put him under Charles and then listed him as professor? <laughs> Can we talk about how Nightcrawler's hairline, like just like his mother, is receding? What is up with that? <laughs> Listen, I love a big forehead. He has a giant forehead. I just noticed that myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for a big forehead. We love having more room to work with. But what is that? That's not his hair. 
it looks a little bit like the artist is trying to pay tribute to Dave Cockrum and John Byrne and Alan Davis all at once. And the creators of the, the monster like, from Jeepers Creepers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This... You know what? Because I can even see where this artist is a strong artist, but I feel like this page is too dense for what it's trying to convey and the method it's trying to convey it. Sorry, Professor X. This is just uh, not your day. If there was just uh, not much, I feel like with Professor Xavier, there's a lot more you could have gone into more or maybe have the focus on the art be that as opposed to just like not much being there. Yeah, it was a pinup party, which I gotta be real. For our last two books, the pinups we got in them are unbelievable. That Emma Frost, Mark Brooks is more of what made Mark Brooks such a superstar. And the Jill Thompson, you know, I'm obviously a little nuts, but the Jill Thompson Phoenix is so gorgeous, even if it looks like the space shuttle is her mouth. And I think one of the things I love about the Emma Frost page is the quick little love song to new X-Men. And the fact that, um, wow... I mean, Emma is where, uh, that, um, that does not pass the napkin test. Yeah, that's less than a napkin. <laughs> that wouldn't handle a heavy flow. I don't know what to say about it. It's, I'm horrified by how far the sexuality was taken on this character at times. I love it. And I think it's empowering and <laughs> dynamic, but this is a time where she was still at all times, maybe a traitor and she was trying to seduce some lady's husband. And I am such a fan of new X-Men, but to see that itty bitty little bathing suit bottom <laughs> with Jean and Scott in fucking head to toe hazmat Kevlar <laughs> chain mail. <laughs> Like, they're so dressed. Like, this is an L.L. Bean shoot. And then there's Emma, and she went out in a notion. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm i not going to discredit the fact that, especially the new X-Men suit. Like, Mark could have left out where the crease is on the very oh bottom, because it oh. literally just looks like you-know-what. Oh. Um, but the the... <laughs> I love this image mainly just because I I know from when the Hellions appeared in the New Mutants issues and X-Men issues, I know that Cat's Eye herself liked to be in between her human and cat form, but I don't think she ever had ears just sticking out of her head like this. She had her tail and she like had purplish skin, but she never had these like Ariana Grande cat ears or whatever they are. And it's just hilarious. Even the dead version of her, I am laughing at. And it does look like every one of her students is staring at her back. I mean, yeah. Um, man, that, oh my God, that, I just can't. I'm just going to talk about the right side of the page where she's wearing pants. But again, with her pants, why did we have to have that crease in the middle or where the seam is? Like We know there's a seam there. You don't have to draw it so tight. I mean, at least her legs are kind of half crossed into each other. So she doesn't have that really awkward thigh gap. That's but like, why is it puckering just around that area? That's not how pants work. <laughs> but it does now. I know. It does look like she's trying really hard not it to piss. It really kind of does. But the pop part looks amazing. <laughs> and that's the thing. The art is so beautiful. Even the places where we're like, the crease is a weird choice. That's definitely, you know, that's where you split the English muffin. I don't know that it's appropriate. And I think that it's still gorgeous. It's still beautiful. It's like I said, with the Chris Yost, Jill Thompson, Phoenix page, I love that page. And I think you can immediately see right away that it's done by somebody with great love for the female form, whether it's the way that Jean's breasts sort of hang in a powerful, non-sexual way in her Phoenix costume, or it's the incredible thickness of her hips which is such an important element of her character design there. You know, I'm going to point out over and over again, it actually does look like that Jean is trying to eat a space shuttle, sam a space shuttle sandwich. And I can't unsee it. She's like, oh, this space shuttle sandwich is so good. Oh my God. And I can't, but like, I still think Jill Thompson is a queen. 
okay, so two things very quickly. Is it wrong of me to like the one-page Emma backstory more than her entire issue dedicated to it? Number one. <laughs> no, no, because it's written by the same person. Yeah, same writer. You're fully welcome to have that feel. That is bizarre. I think they did so much better in one page than they did in an entire 20-plus page issue. That's number one. Number two, why is Emma in her new mutant's outfit literally not wearing anything? I am sorry. What is this, a Grammys outfit? Like, what is that? That's not a, that is not an acceptable costume for anybody to wear. And I mean, I just want to remind you, she was a teacher. Uh, listen, if, that, if that's what she was wearing, I'd be like, Miss Frost, please put clothes on. I can't learn from you why you look like this you're an embarrassment you piece of gum get out of here i think the gr- i think i think the greatest irony of all time is that emma frost once taught ethics <laughs> so guys i want to ask you we talked about six major ex psychics today i don't think i should have to explain obviously my favorite's gene and i love when she's on fire but a good strong backup goes to her sort of son, Cable. I want to know, of these six X-Men, who were your guys' favorite? Cable. <laughs> I guess that's not a surprise, though, huh? No, because I mean, and I know you're, I know you're one true love. You're, you're Queen Danny. Yes. I'm going to say Emma. I've really become a big fan of her lately, and just getting to see all of this extra stuff that I wasn't aware of was kind of nice. Oh, Kyle, you're such oh. a Samantha. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I am, I'm not just saying this to be different, but I mean, I think most people would think that I would pick Emma, but Kyle picked her and she was his first anyway, so. We can share. I'm gonna, (laughs) no, I really just wanted to bring up that she was your first, that's all. Um, (laughs) I really like Karma. She need, like, this was nothing for her, and I think Karma doesn't need anything to make herself be popular, so that's why she doesn't have that much. So, my vote goes to Karma. I think from all the the pages that we did read, the one I kind of liked the most was Cable's. I I think it had the best balance of explaining who Cable was and giving us enough without over-spoon-feeding and still feeling like, okay, I, I know who this character is. Everybody else says I didn't really get that idea, except for maybe Emma's, but like Cable's, I think, did a better job. So I sourced around and not everybody knew who we'd be covering. So some of these answers are going to include psychics from all around the X-Men. But I asked around some fans and contributor to the show, Dr. Matt Connor, said that his favorite is Jean because when Ileana died, she listened to Jubilee, even though she obviously could have pulled information out of out of her head because she knew Jubilee needed to talk. And that makes her better than her power, which from there we have contributor to the show, Mikey, who says Cable. I like him because despite having psychic power, he still uses pure strength and fighting ability to fight his opponent. He also uses a gun, which is kind of cool growing up against people with earth-shattering powers. And I'm like, okay. So, (laughs) I reached out, and I got some answers that I maybe didn't expect. Uh, Friend of the podcast, Jacob T, said... I hate the psychic X-Men because they have different powers with every writer and 99% of the X-Men battles before they fought so many robots could have been better handled by the professor than five teenagers. So I have to say karma just because possession is ridiculously limiting and literally any telepath can do it. Telepaths are the most powerful and have the most versatile power yet are the most likely to be kidnapped and knocked out in the first 30 seconds of a fight. To which he then added, shit, I should have said destiny because precognition should be way more useful and common given its prevalence in popular culture. Also lesbian. So he picked two lesbians. Now we have two answers that were kind of a little bit different. Friend of the pod, Brad G says, Rachel Summers Gray is my current favorite psychic because she is an underdog that I got that I root for more than any other psychic. She's been through some real nonsense, even by X-Men standards. I would only support the return of the Phoenix Force if it just stays permanently with Rachel and no takesies backsies. And then finally, a fan of the show through House of X. And this one is after both my and Dylan's hearts. In front of the podcast, Michael says, Chamber. I pretty much dig his whole vibe. He's the punk rock goth angsty character. Even now that he's grown, he's still kind of a little shit. I like how he was the first real X-Man who was physically mutated but didn't compensate by being charming or likable, like Beast or Nightcrawler, and he's still always been a hero. So, it's really interesting how when asked with no list, 
three out of five people still picked people from this list. It is kind of funny that they chose mostly the ones that we mentioned. Yep. A admin from the House of X that Regina and I both have, uh, her name is Bethany. When I asked her who her favorite psychic was, uh, she kind of have, had an answer like Jacob T. Her answer was, ever since I was a little kid, I've thought that telepathy would be the worst power to have until you develop some control, if you ever do. You're basically existing without skin. You're in the universe without any sort of boundary between yourself and the rest of the world subjected to all the other stupid hatreds, pettiness, and everything that people are, are having to deal with. As psychics, we'd just be swimming in each other's minds and forced to sometimes without consent if we can't control our powers. But psychic powers are almost always presented as a gift and not a nightmare. So I rarely find a character blessed with this who I can connect with besides Rachel Summers. Rachel is comfortable with her telepathy, sure, but she also lives with the memory that telepathy was being used as a weapon. She was the weapon and it was against her will. Rachel is scarred in something like this fiercely, shackled to her memories of being a hound. And this is something that I think most real telepaths would have to deal with. And I just wanted to give a reminder. I mentioned it on our last episode. X's for Podcasts has teamed up with five other X-Men related podcasts for the Comic Book United Fund. This fund was created by the Bink Foundation. That is the Book Industry Charitable Foundation. It's a fundraiser to raise money for comic book retailers during this crazy time of the pandemic. The five other podcasts that we've teamed up with are X Reads Podcast, The Cerebros, Comic Book Queers, Homo Superior, and The Wolverine Podcast that goes schnicked. Each podcast has their own perks that they're giving away for a certain amount of money that you donate. There's different tiers and you get different perks for each tiers. Visit each one of those podcast that I mentioned, social media platforms to get more information. You can look at X's for Podcast Twitter that we now have, and there's a pinned post that has all the details on it. And speaking of social medias, Kyle, where can everybody find you? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? (laughs) Everybody can find me on my X-Men Facebook group that is called House of X that Regina helps me moderate. Or you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at The Red Queen of X. And on Facebook at The House of Goblins. Telling Jean that Jonah, where can everybody find you? On Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? (laughs) Until we come back to talk about some of the most famous ex-students to ever grace the mansion's halls, you guys can find me all over this amazing network, whether it's on Mondays or Thursdays, covering X for Podcasts store on Tuesdays for Star Wars Force Legacy.html, where we're currently taking apart the Clone Wars adventure. Don't forget to check out our website at wearecrocoa.com, as well as our new Twitter, like Dylan mentioned, which has all of the information you need to donate to the amazing worthwhile cause, and let's keep some of these awesome comic shops up and running. You guys can look me up on Instagram over at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-T-I-O-N, and guys, until we return, keep those mutant lights bright. Jumbo Carnation forever. Bye! <laughs> Bye! <laughs> Bye. That was the night Jumbo Nation died.